Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Excited to be coming to you this week. We've, uh, you know, we haven't had a break in episodes, but me and you, we've been, you've been in Tennessee hunting. I've been uh, down at the beach, actually. Yep. So we haven't recorded in a minute, so it feels good to like kind of be back in the studio, man. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, there are. Uh, Show notes down below where you can get your timestamps if you want to kind of skip around in this episode and go to whatever parts interest you. Uh, but hey, this week we got an interesting one. We're talking about our episode with Mr. Rick Cope. Jacob, how are you doing? Oh, doing well, doing well, man. Rick Cope's an interesting one. This is a guy I've been trying to get on the podcast for probably, I think it, I think it has been two years. Uh, I think it was early back in tw- 2021 when I heard about Rick Cope. And I want to say someone had actually recommended a listener had recommended try to get him on board and i had reached out to rick and, and rick at the time was actually going to be doing a live seminar at his church he's a pastor for a, a big church in south carolina and he was going to do a, a live stream seminar that was available for people in public or had people it's available if i could talk for people to come uh actually to the event but also it's going to be live stream so i went and watched the live stream version of it and it was fascinating just kind of seeing what he talked about which some of it we got into this episode some of it we're gonna have to have him back on um but it turned out really 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 good and i was like man we gotta get this guy on the podcast and he's a super busy guy and we're fairly busy as well and we we're finally able to make it work and get everybody together and um I'm excited just to get that episode out. So uh, we've already, like, since we posted the episode, we've already had people message us saying, like, like, you know, from other South Carolinas saying that, like, hey, this is, like, on the money, and just other people in general is saying, like, this was a a really, really good episode to kind of put together and and, and get some feedback on. So uh, I'm I'm, I'm extremely excited to see how, you know, it turns out. And also some other questions that maybe come in about Rick. Yeah, definitely. South Carolinas? That's interesting. Is that right? What is it? That's what I've called. South Carolinians? Would that be it? Carolinas, Carolinas, some Carolinas. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about with Rick's thing. One thing I wanted to touch on is I had a listener send me a, a video message the other day. Uh, shout out to Gavin from Louisiana, and he he sent a message that was basically talking about. I actually play it for the for the listeners so they can hear it. Andrew, I hope all is well, brother. Gavin McGee here, and I wanted to send you this message, Andrew. Man, I just I want to start by saying I love you guys podcast i've been listening to y'all for a few years and i noticed that you like all my posts and i really appreciate that i feel like we're like-minded individuals and there's something that i've noticed on podcasts and it's just something that i wanted to speak on real quick and it's that people always want to know what's that one thing like what's the secret what flipped the switch in your mind um what's the the best tactic to kill a mature buck And what nobody tells you and nobody teaches you about life is that it's not, it's never really what tactic is going to make you the money or what tactic is going to get you ripped, what tactic is going to kill you the mature buck. And we know that all tactics 
can work, but we know they, they may not be applicable in certain situations or different states, right? But the thing that is applicable that you don't really hear people speak on, the one thing that is applicable is there's a certain mindset and there's a certain skill set and there are certain habits that will kill a mature buck. And it's more important to have the mindset, the skill set, and the habits than it is to know the tactic that might kill a mature buck. With that being said, it's just, it's things like, and people get this twisted. They really think it's a tactic, but they don't realize that it's certain disciplines. It's preparation, shooting your bow in the off season or shooting it during the season. It's walking the extra mile to access a spot the right way. It's staying until after dark to exit the right way. It's knowing what the predominant wind is or understanding the wind in this situation. It's knowing where bucks tend to be, where they tend to bed, how they tend to move. It's having the end goal in mind. It's knowing that you wanna kill that deer and being disciplined enough to walk as slow as you need to, to have all your equipment silenced, is the little detail things and the people who kill they do talk about the detail things but most people want to know what tactic it is that they apply and we know big bucks are where you find them so figuring that part out is going to take legwork it's always going to be tough but there's a certain unbreakable mindset that you you got to have and also is falling in love with the process whether or not you achieve that outcome doing it anyway because once we know detachment from the thing that we want that we desire ultimately we free ourselves of the desire and we we open up the gate for it to happen so it's so funny how when you focus on how you just want to kill a buck you just want to kill a big buck you almost take yourself yourself further from it but when you decide it's the hunts where you decide that you don't really care how it happens but you know the things you do know is that this is a good spot. This is a good scenario. This is a good win. This is a good day. Those are the days when things play out the right way. Anyways, I'm sure uh, I'm sure you could relate to some of this, but this is something that I've been thinking about, man. And and one day, I'm not. I haven't earned the right to speak yet on killing mature deer, but I'm getting there. I'm on my way. But one day, when I do get an opportunity to speak on a podcast, that's something that I will touch on. That's a subject that I will speak on. I'll be I'll happily share tactics and what's working for me but what I want people to know is the mindset skill set and habits this can be applied to any endeavor any area of your life and then you'll see the results and uh that's for a fact bro but anyways I hope you have a great day brother sorry this was random and kind of long but um y'all keep doing what y'all doing man take care but the the message is essentially about the fact that we'll have guys on who say different things like different different tactics um you know, in, in whatever, you know, state or whatever they're in, there, there might be people close to them that use similar tactics, but they both kill big deer, even mm-hmm. though they're like very different, yeah. uh, use very different tactics, I meant. And, uh, and really at the end of the day, it kind of comes down to the habits, the discipline, the lifestyle that those guys are living. And what I sent back to him, and I, I want to get your thoughts on this, is we have interviewed guys who don't really know each other, who hunt pretty much the same areas. It could even be, in some cases, the same public land. 
they've got different tactics from one another, but they're both successful. And you even see this like in uh, like across the country in the hunting industry. And a really good example that a lot of people are going to be familiar with would be like Dan Enfault and John Eberhardt. Mm-hmm. And like people kind of argue about them or whatever. But they both are very successful. They're very different with how they like to do stuff. And uh, it's just a good example of how both of those guys are really confident in their tactics and they don't necessarily get bogged down in the they, – they don't they don't major in the minors, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the habits and the lifestyle and the discipline that it takes to be successful year in and year out. And they're not super bogged down in, like, a tactic. And, and he was basically making the case that uh, a lot of people probably do get bogged down with the tactic stuff, like myself, getting bogged down a couple of years back with, like, the whole buck bedding thing. Where I'm like crawling around in pine thickets trying to find beds, and ultimately it never really helped me kill a buck um, when I was like really into that. And that's because I was just focusing on a specific tactic and I wasn't looking at maybe more of the overarching stuff, the habits that would actually lead me to kill a big buck. Like I need to shoot my bow more, I need to prepare for all these different situations, I need to scout more, do just do boots on the ground stuff. Uh, so I'm curious what your take is on that. Yeah, I mean, we get that all the time because you'll have, like, like you said, we'll have one guy on one week that says, you know, what he does works and this other strategy that other people might do doesn't work, then we may have someone on the following week that completely contradicts what he, that other guy just said. And we get messages about it. Yeah, <laughs> but, and that's the one thing I like about whitetail hunting is because there isn't just a right way about going about, you know, hunting whitetails and being successful taking whitetails and killing whitetails and especially mature bucks. There is some overlap, but again, everybody's slightly different. And that's the cool thing I like about in the southeast is because there's so many different hunters in the southeast that are all successful killing say mature bucks but they may do something completely different from someone else um i feel like the midwest is like that too but uh, i feel like definitely in the southeast because there's so much just different diversity in the southeast and different parts of the southeast when it comes to different states different habitats different terrain types that there's certain some guys that are like you know huge on one thing and they don't really care about the other and then you'll have somebody again complete opposite um what i always tell the listeners is i would li- like selfishly you know it's podcast i'd say listen to all episodes but <laughs> yep. also when when you're listening to these episodes make sure you know don't look at like everything they say is something that i have to apply a hundred percent of what we're doing uh, or what i'm gonna do you know and what i mean by that is not every time we get somebody on you have to take everything as what they say as the gospel and a hundred percent apply it but what i would say is even like when we interview like say you know past week so i guess it was last week's episode uh, all these different guys from the the midwest that we interviewed that i interviewed on the podcast and we had of course messages that i knew they were going to come but man you know this isn't really in the brand <laughs> you know man you got you gotta have you getting know, away from the name getting away from the name yeah. and the thing is i agree but also there is always something like it could be just one percent of the conversation that could be valuable out of hearing something that these guys other guys do that then maybe you could directly apply to where you're at. And it's really about coming together and piecing together different strategies of like what fits you the best, you know? Um, and, and also I'll say this, and this is something that's happened uh, for a lot of our listeners who we have a lot of listener success stories from is they always t- tend to gravitate towards one or two guests that really fits them where they're at. Okay. Um, a great example, Michael Perry, um, who's been on the podcast a ton on our show from Alabama, killed some really big deer in Alabama on public land. And we've had listeners that, you know, Michael does things very specifically. And we have listeners that will go and, like, say, listen to him and maybe hunt the same general region of the state or, you know, area of the southeast as Michael. 
and will literally just hyper-focus their efforts on what Michael does and just be like, hey, I'll listen to other episodes, but really, like, Michael's the one I'm taking, like, most of my advice from. They go out and apply it, and they kill some really good deer. And two guys that come to mind would be uh, Chase Parker and Haynes Riddle, uh, who went from being listeners of the podcast to being guests on the podcast because of some crazy success they've had, um, which was, it wasn't last year, it was two years ago. Yeah, it was two years ago. Uh, They killed three bucks in Alabama on public land all over 140-something inches, 42 inches, uh, within like 10 days. And a lot of what they kind of talked about, we actually had Michael Perry sit on that episode with them, was things they kind of took away from Michael Perry and they kind of made it their own. Um, And they kind of used what, what Michael was talking about that's helped him be successful and they kind of use some of that and then they kind of like started applying it to their own personal experiences and they were going out there and come to find out uh, it worked really, really well for them. Uh, I think listeners have to do more of that. Like, you know, every time we get somebody on, always just look at like, I just want to try to get 1% out of this conversation that maybe will, you know, change my perspective open my eyes to a different uh, a different way about going doing things or maybe things I've been uh, maybe messing up on that this person really highlights that I'm like okay this is how I can get out of this you know rut I'm in this ditch I'm in um, and be able to come out the other side and become a lot more confident because a lot of things a, a big a, a really big factor for everybody we interview on this podcast is they have utmost confidence in what they do okay no matter what they do, no matter what their hunting style is, they have the utmost confidence that if I do what, you know, or if they do what they talk about, that they're going to go and kill a big buck. Yep. Um, and and uh, for a lot of us, myself included, it's like, you know, I, I have confidence getting on deer, but it's like confidence like, okay, I, I don't know. Is this, this is that really big buck? Is this that big mature buck or is mm-hmm. it not? Where like the, a lot of these guys have that confidence of like, hey, if I'm doing what I'm talking about doing and I go about the scouting and the hunting style that I'm going to do, I should be able to have that success and have those opportunities. I just got to execute those opportunities. Yeah, and uh, that goes back to the the whole, uh, I guess, overarching like lifestyle or whatever. Is that that confidence? You have to cultivate it over time. You know, you can't you can't just go out there and just be confident. You know, you have to have your own experience and and build upon it. Yeah. You know, like you remember years ago when we first started the podcast, I was having a terrible deer season, and you were like, "Man, I have to, I wonder what episode that was." It, it was Richard. We interviewed I interviewed Richard Fought a couple times and. We brought you up because I don't think you could join on one of those episodes. I think it was the episode we did. It was like the ten percent. Um, yeah, it was back when I was living in Nashville. And you're like, yeah, and that was like episode like forty eight or yeah, forty nine. It was back in like twenty eighteen time period, and we were talking about because Richard was talking a lot about like hunting with confidence. But the problem is you can't hunt with confidence until you've had the success. Yeah, and I, I don't mean success like you had to actually kill a deer, but you had to have the success of it could getting, be an encounter, getting encounters, getting observations, like putting yourself in the right position. Um. And yeah, I remember because you were having like a really, really. Rough I was having time. a rough season, man. And yeah, and, and I think I just yeah had told you like, man, you just gotta have more confidence. But you're like, how do I have confidence when I'm like, I can't even like freaking put it together. <laughs> you can't like, even find a doe. And, and that's a, that's a huge part. Yeah. So it's like you know you hear a lot of get, guests talk about like having confidence in what they do, and you can't just go out there and magically like, oh man, I felt confident about this mm-hmm. because like that comes from the repeated opportunities of where you did a certain thing. And you went out there and got a very specific result, where the result yeah. was an observation. You got an opportunity, or you actually killed a deer doing that. Whether it's a you're just trying to kill a doe, trying to kill a young buck, or trying to kill a mature buck, it's having the repetition of like I do a very specific thing and I have a very specific result afterwards, and that's how you build your confidence. Yep, I agree for sure. Um, so some of the more interesting things that that we talked about with Rick when it comes to feed trees, uh, one of the things that that kind of stuck out to me was. He uses rubs to find feed trees. 
Yeah. That's interesting. That's not something I've ever done. I've never had experience with that where I find a rub. I'm like, okay, there must be a feed tree within. But it, it, to me, it makes sense because when they're when they're laying down that kind of sign in the early season, mm-hmm. uh, they're in that spot for a reason, you know, especially if you're in more open woods. And that's a lot of times in early season where we're finding those rubs. Uh, so what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I I want to say – I want. I know Jonathan Moreland's talked about that before. Finding buck sign, whether scrapes and rubs around feed trees. I know Richard Fox talked about it a little bit as well in the past in different habitat environments where you, like, you can kind of find that overlap. And again, it, it kind of comes down like depending on like how early in the season you're doing it and like when the rut takes place. Like if all those bucks or like a group of bucks is congregated in a general area feeding and there's does there too, they're gonna put down some kind of sign. Like, yep. you know, and that sign might just be big tracks. You know, if you if you happen mm-hmm. to hunt an area where you have really good soil content, where that holds a track really, really good, um, you know, sometimes that sign is just a big track underneath one of those trees or in the vicinity of some of those trees that are dropping. Uh, and then on the flip side, like what, um, what Rick was talking about, is like trying to find those rubs within like that 50, 60-yard buffer of like mm-hmm. where those feed trees are at. And you'll kind of like find that sign in that general area, and then you can kind of key in on those trees. Now, one thing, and we kind of, we talked a little bit about this, but one thing that I kind of go back and look at is you find those rubs around those trees or in that general area around those trees, but that doesn't necessarily tell you where they're coming from. Mm-mm. It just says, because it's especially, there, to me, there's a difference between a rub and like and how like a rose being laid down, whether it's like coming from a bedding area. There's, yeah. there's there's no feed other than browse. They're kind of browsing their way through like a destination to a destination food source, which like at this time of the year would be uh, oaks dropping, you know, acorns dropping. Uh, to me, there's a difference between that kind of rub, where you, like you can actually kind of tell a path of travel versus rubs underneath feed trees. Because mm-hmm. the rubs underneath feed trees, to me, that's more they're kind of there. That buck's kind of there, just chilling out, feeding a little yeah. bit, you know, checking on his does, maybe like you know, messing with some of the other bucks, maybe doing a little like light sparring or just kind of like you know, kind of doing their little pecking order right now. Um, and he's just laying down sign in that general area, but it's not really telling you a path of travel that they're coming from. So I think it's a great way to tell, like, hey, there's a buck using it, but it's trying to figure out, like, how to set up on that tree accordingly mm-hmm. in order to, like, hopefully have an idea of figuring out what direction that buck's probably going to come from, along with the other deer, so you get the best shot opportunity possible. Yeah. Um, how would you tell the difference between the two? You know, like, how do you know, like, is this a rub? Like, let's just say there's a guy out walking around in the woods and he finds a rub. What are what are the context clues that will tell you, hey, this is a traveling rub or there's a feed tree rub? Or I mean, whatever. first off, you, is there a feed tree? <laughs> is there a feed tree? Yeah, I mean, if, if you don't, if you're in an area and there's no oaks and especially there's nothing on the ground. Like, it's one thing if they're in the tree, okay? Windstorm comes through, like we saw that when we went scouting uh, yesterday. You know, windstorm comes through, big thunderstorm comes through, it's going to knock... Uh, acorns out of the tree okay they're gonna be on the ground yeah deer mess with them but that's very different verse you know when a tree's actually dropping and then those deer spend a lot more time underneath that tree so one thing i would pay attention to is like okay are you finding a rub line coming from an area that you Mm -hmm. suspect is to be bedding where that's to me like a rub line is like the easiest way of path of travel okay if you're looking through the woods and you see like a fresh rub here and you see another like 40, 60 yards ahead, there's another rub facing the same direction that you're walking yep. uh, with this first rub. You can kind of tell that's a path of travel. Versus if you got an area where there's a, you know, a couple feed trees, say there's three or four feed trees, kind of like what we found when we were scouting, and you just found like around those trees, there's random rubs, you know, within like what Rick was talking about, that 50, 60 yard, you know, range kind of around up to maybe 100 yards around them. That's an area they're just kind of lingering. 
which to me would be a lot more kind of that nighttime sign, potentially early afternoon sign, depending on when they're going to feed. Um, and, and that would be the aspect there. If you're just finding rubs randomly, like randomly, like in one area, like you said in one area and you're like looking around this big acorn flat, this oak flat, and there's like a rub here, there's a rub there, there's a rub here, there's like rubs all around you. To me, that's showing a spot that they're like kind of congregating at and they're yeah. hanging out. Versus if you find an actual path of travel where like, you know, you get, you get good trails or get a faint trail, but you see a rub here and then you look ahead if you can see far enough ahead, see another rub and you see another rub, like that's a path of travel of him coming from a bedding location, going to a feeding location or vice versa, coming from that oak flat, going back up to bed. Yep. Um, so I think that's like a big factor. Like if it's random rubs, it's kind of that lingering feeding area where they're kind of congregating at night. And then if you have like a path of travel with the rubs, where again, it's kind of working down the habitat edge, there's no real feed trees that are dropping right there. And it's like a linear line of rubs. That, to me, that's more of a path of travel movement where they're coming from, again, bed to food or food to bed. Yeah, that's something I have more experience with, uh, specifically in Georgia this time of year because, you know, Georgia's opening up the Saturday, um, is finding those rub lines going to specific spots like uh, like where me and you used to hunt around that dove field. And I, I would find where they were basically coming up out of this bottom, this thick bottom, and everything was kind of reversed. Like the field was on top of a hill. And there's a drainage that came off the field and went down in this bottom. And they were coming up from that bottom to the field in the evenings. And you would find rub lines. You know, it'd be a rub here, a rub there. But also another example of this is sometimes you'll find this in the rut where it's similar, but it's not a feed tree. But it'll be like uh, like a little patch of cover. Like sometimes, like I found it um, on a local place that where you'll have like a, a large hardwood bottom. And there'll be like a little briar thicket, briar privet kind of thicket thing yeah. down in the bottom where it's just like maybe like a half acre of just thick earth stuff it's not even really that thick and it is just lit up with rubs mm-hmm. all around and they're just kind of there's no rub line necessarily going to or from it it's just all lit up and i think that's where like a buck was probably like locked down with a doe at some point during the rut and he was just hanging out in that one spot for like a couple hours so he's just rubbing up trees all over the place and so it, it's maybe like some people have potentially seen that before later in the year It'd be kind of the same thing, except early in the season, it might be more like whip rubs. Mm-hmm. You know, he might not be rubbing up like a tree as big around as your calf. Mm-hmm. He he might be rubbing trees as big around as your thumb or your pinky. Yeah, yeah. You know, and potentially like ripping them in half, which yeah. is what I love to see. Yeah, if you see like one of those rubs of the size of like your thumb or like smaller, maybe like your index finger or something, and it's that thing is broken off two and a half, three feet off the ground and the top's laying right there and it's all twisted up. Yeah, that's that's. A, I mean, it, could, yeah. it, could, it, can, it can definitely be a young buck, but typically that takes some time length because they twist their antlers up in there. And like we've all seen videos of them doing that, where they kind of go and they lock their antlers into it, and they're just twisting that little. It takes some kind of rack to do yeah, that. Yeah, and that's why we, we call them whip rubs because they can whip that little sapling. I mean, back and forth. I mean, it's something you can literally break in your hand pretty easily. Yeah, uh, or at least bend it at least. And it's like those always get hammered, like right when they're coming out of velvet. You know, as they're like shedding velvet, it seems like they like to rub on those countries. Yeah. And for that, for at least around here, for that first two to three weeks of season, like as you're like getting in October, you find those whip rubs. And you may find a couple larger rubs, but like they may not be hitting those bigger trees until a little bit later on. But it's like early yeah. seasons, like you try to find those little whip rubs. And don't underestimate that. Like, mm-hmm. again, you find a little whip rub. Now, it's one thing, take this back, there's one thing if you find a whip rub. It's a big as around your thumb or like one of your fingers, and it's just all skin up. 
but it's, it's not like twist. barely even skin but up. yeah but it's not twisted up or anything now i have also seen videos of big bucks doing that without twisting the top off yeah but like that wouldn't get me as excited as if when you find one that is literally it's it's broke off two and a half feet three feet off the ground and it's all you find the top blender it's all twisted up i mean literally looks like someone just like started like twisting their hand yeah um that gets me a little bit more excited. Yeah. Hey, you probably have a deer with some better tine length that could actually twist that that sapling up in his tines. Yeah, actually, where me and you uh, prepped that spot yesterday, mm-hmm. um, which we'll talk we'll talk more about that on next week's outro. But where we prepped that spot the first time Mike and I went in there, we found whip rubs from last year. And that little between where the two cameras are at, mm-hmm. that little there's all those saplings. We found three or four whip rubs in there that are about as big around as my thumb that are broke off two or three feet off the ground. And so that's that's one reason that I that I wanted to go back into that spot so bad is like well they were definitely in here last year mm-hmm. at the at the right time of year so interesting stuff um, now how about the uh, the the idea and this is one reason I brought up the thing that Gavin sent uh, about different tactics for different folks because there will be a percentage of the audience that just does not care about this but the moon phase thing okay hunting a feed tree or a cutover yeah based on uh, your moon phase. Rick is obviously like very uh, confident in that, and it it, it works for him, guys. Like <laughs> that's all I'm saying is like I don't know if I'm gonna necessarily use it. I don't know if I believe it, but Rick's confident in it. It works for him. He kills bucks doing it. Um, but I've never heard anybody explain it like that before. So I'm curious on your thoughts on that. I mean, the more and more people we talk to, the more and more people they're like, <laughs> "Are you a moon guy now?" There's there's something to it. I you know, listen. When we were in Tennessee. It was supposedly the the red moon, and I went out three or four days before season opened up. Uh-huh. Look for bucks. I didn't see one. Oh. But then again, and the funny thing is, I went to some spots that like one spot specific, specifically, and it was during this whole red moon phase where you should have really good early morning movement, really good evening movement. And this is as got as some of these people say is like when the moon's overhead, directly overhead, and directly underfoot. Okay, directly overhead's the major movement period. Directly underfoot's the minor movement period. I saw some does, a couple does, nothing crazy. And I'm like, dude, I was getting really down with myself. I sat in one spot for one <laughs> for one evening, and then the next morning, and I think I saw a total of two does in this mm-hmm. one spot. I could see a lot. But Jeremy went in there. The first time he goes in there, like the next day, like the like he, he sat the afternoon after I sat in the morning, okay. and he saw three bucks. Okay. And I'm like, what the heck? Where are, you, where are we all at, man? And uh, anyways. and uh, So were you like hardcore paying attention to the moon up there? No, I, I just knew that it was, like, during the time that we were going to be there up until season opened, it was going to be that red moon phase, which yeah. overhead, underfoot. So, I'm like, there ought to be some deer moon. But it didn't matter if the moon was if moon was a factor or not for me because I was still glassing. Like, I was trying to glass for deer, okay? Mm-hmm. and Because you were there. Yeah, because I was there. Like, I wasn't not going to go. Yeah, so, yeah. to me, it didn't really matter. But I'm saying, did it line up? Did you see the deer activity line up? With the moon, not at all. I mean, yeah, yeah, but it was all does. Like, I, that's fine. Like, I feel like does are gonna feed whenever. But, but again, I'm, I'm not so. Where, where I'm trying, to get, I'm not trying to get distracted with that. But when we get to some of these guests that we've had on, okay, like Rhett Cope's one, uh, Jeremy Aaron's another, and Jonathan Moreland, uh, Hunter Hogan's a big one on this topic. That you know, a lot of these guys have like you know combined like 60, 70 years of, or actually more than that. God, a lot a lot of hunting a lot of years of hunting experience combined and they all seem to see a correlation between buck movement and i guess overall deer movement but especially buck movement around that kind of period that you know phase. that kind of red boon phase and again when you know overhead underfoot kind of lines up during the you know 
the uh, early morning time period and that evening time period, the last hour or half in the dark. So, to me, this is my thing. And it's like what Jonathan just said. Jonathan's like a believer in it, but he's like, I'm not going to dictate my hunting right. If I can go hunt, I'm going to go hunt. Okay? Yep. And that's my perspective. I'm mm-hmm. like, if i got time to go hunt, I don't care what the moon says. Like, it just it doesn't matter to yep. me. We're going to go hunt. But, like, if happened, if it happened to be moon lined up morning and evenings, overhead, underfoot, and we had a cold front come, I might want to get a little more excited. Okay. I mean, I might be like, okay, okay I might feel a little more confident. Yeah. And we might not go see anything. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. It's, it's such an interesting topic. It, it is it is so highly um, discussed and scrutinized by the general audience, uh, not just our show, but just in hunting in general. Um, it's just it's just very fascinating. Very fascinating. Yeah, and definitely. Uh, but, I mean, what what is your take on it after I kind of – ramble through i mean pretty much what you said um there's a lot of guys who i have a lot of respect for who really do believe it um so like i'm not gonna totally discount that am i gonna like try to pay attention to the moon and use the moon probably not just because like i just i don't know i'm just not that interested in it um and and most of the guys who have success with it they're not like completely basing their hunts off of it you know like jeremy aaron who he's talked about like he might just because he can he can hunt whenever he wants, mm-hmm. you know, with his, the, his schedule and the amount of freedom he has. So he's just going to try to stack his odds. So it's not like someone who's like in my position where you're getting one, two days a week if you're lucky, limited to Saturday and Sunday. Like, you just got to go when you can. Mm-hmm. Kinda, same thing with the weather, honestly. Like, if it's hot on Saturday, I'm going, mm-hmm. you know. Like, it's just – like, that's just how oh. it is. I saw a post. It was on one of these uh, one of these Facebook groups, and one of the guy commented or made a post saying, "How many of you guys wait until late October before you really start hunting hard?" And he had like a little mosquito emoji on there. <laughs> and dude, the comments were great. Like, <laughs> you didn't get roasted. Jonathan, Jonathan Bone, old Catman, had like one of the best comments ever. He's he's like something about like you got soft hands or something like that. <laughs> like you, yeah, you dishwasher hands. Yeah. And uh, and but then you had other guys like, oh yeah, nobody should be in the woods. Or, oh. like, y'all, y'all should stay out. And it was like winky face, like yeah, y'all uh, stay out in the woods. Oh yeah. But um, but that is kind of funny. I mean, again, if you have a ton of time to hunt, you know, I guess you can be a little more selective on when you do it. But if you don't have a lot of time to hunt, probably like ninety eight percent of our audience, you got to go when you got to go. So yeah, I'm interested in the idea of of trying to predict whether or not you should hunt like a cutover or a feed tree, um, and that's just that's just what intrigued me about it because uh, there's some days that are going to be better for cutovers. There's going to be some days that are better for you know maybe being in the oaks and hunting that are, food. Are source. you talking that kind of early season? No, I mean just in general, like in general deer season. Mm-hmm. Um, like based on are the deer probably going to be in that thicker cover right now it could and i've always based that kind of thing off weather conditions so if we got like storms and wind rolling in like i think they're going to be in the pines you know they're like if it's going to be like drizzling rain i think they're going to be in the pines uh versus if it's uh, like really cold high pressure they're going to be out in that you know kind of sage grass fresh cut kind of thing um, versus, you know, some other condition, maybe they're, they're more on the transitions and, and just learning how to predict that kind of thing. And, and it sounds like Rick predicts that based off the moon and it seems to work for him. So mm-hmm. that, I, yeah. I mean, that's just interesting. Yeah. Cause one thing I just remember, one thing Rick said that I thought was fascinating cause he's got a guy, he's got a buddy of his that we're, we'll probably try to do an interview with. And they were talking about the whole, we were talking about the whole moon phase aspect or moon positioning aspect, not really moon phase, but moon positioning. And, uh, he had mentioned, he's like, you know, on a good when, – when the moon phase and everything lines up – now, this is Rick talking. I'm just kind of paraphrasing here. Uh, he's going to go hunt the feed trees, okay? But he's like, if you're a rifle hunter, 
He's like, you can go hunt those clear cuts when it's not a good moon phase, and you can still catch bucks getting up yep. and moving around. He's just probably not going to leave that clear cut for majority of the day. He's just going to kind of move around through it. So he's like, if you yep. climb high, take your climber, take your saddle, take your whatever, and get super high mm-hmm. and look down to that one, two, three-year-old clear cut, maybe four-year-old clear cut, and you can see down where, again, where they log, they cut the whole top of this ridge off, and it's just all you know shrubs and uh, you know saplings and grasses growing back up. If you can climb in one of those areas on one of those quote unquote bad moon phase days, he's like you can kill some really big bucks doing that. And he mentioned like one of his buddies that does that. Like mm-hmm. if it's not a good, if it's not a good moon day, you know from what, how they described it, that his buddy's gonna go hunt with a rifle and a clear cut and go yep. kill a big buck doing that. Where he's not moving much from his bed, but he's kind of just moving around that little area in that clear cut. Yeah, yeah. No, I find that very interesting. Very, very interesting. So pretty cool. Um, I'm gonna kind of keep it in the back of my mind and, and kind of ask future like moon guys about that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, or or just really anybody because I, again I I lean more towards like I'm gonna tie it back to weather, like a like a weather pattern or mm-hmm. something rather than a moon phase. Uh, but you know I'm always willing to talk about you know whatever a guy thinks makes him successful. So interesting stuff. Uh, so over the last. I guess two weeks or so, uh, I, w- I went on a family vacation, went and caught some redfish and some trout and stuff. That was fun. Uh, did a little saltwater action. It's like my, my second love, mm-hmm. saltwater. Um, but you kicked off deer season with the Tennessee velvet hunt, baby. And just how we were talking about uh, earlier, you know, having the, the habits of a, of a guy who kills mature bucks and, you know, not missing opportunities. You did the opposite of that. I didn't know. We were, I, I didn't really want to talk about this on the podcast. <laughs> you missed an opportunity, my friend. Yeah. So let's talk about it. What, uh, what happened? Uh, I Tell just, us what happened. I, I should have killed a, a very large deer. Probably, probably by far, probably the big, big. By, no, by far the biggest deer I've ever killed, no, without a doubt. Um, Are you sure though? Because did, did you get that good of a look at him? Yeah, yeah, with the binos and everything. For, again, it was a side profile. So this was the side profile. What he looked like when I, again. It was big enough. I thought it was a tree branch moving. I thought it was a doe yanking on a tree branch. And I realized that wasn't a tree branch. It was velvet <laughs> antlers looking at that thick stuff I was looking at. All right, let's like, let's start from the let's start from the top. Houndstooth Game Calls Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spurmaster and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls, and it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spurmaster call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at 
uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable. Like, everybody's jaws were dropping. Like, when I, we were out there with Mike and Sam, we were all super impressed. I mean, it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke. And, Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from true lock. It's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So, guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T R U L O C K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with True Lock. So, how many, how many days? Early, did you go up to try and, and scout for it? Yeah, th- three days. Um, three days early. It was it was miserable. It was the hottest. I, I can confidently say this. this is the hottest temperature I've ever hunted in, period. Um, when we were scouting, there was multiple days in, at 115 degrees heat index. Yep. Um, a- Anthony, my uncle, uh, who went with me to Iowa last year, he, he came up as well a couple days early. And we went scouting and stuff. He's like, dude, I've never – and he works like landscaping, okay? He's got a landscape supply store and all this other kind of stuff and always worked kind of landscape outside. And he's like, I've never sweated this much in my entire life doing anything. <laughs> Job, like, this is like – like, you'd go out for like a quick a quick scout, tr- scout, whether it's in the morning, midday, afternoon. And when you got back, there was not a, a square inch of dry clothing anywhere on you. Mm. Nothing. Mm. Um, it, it was to the point you'd sweat so much going out there when you had your head down like this kind of tilt your head down you'd have a, a consistent drip coming off your, the bill of your hat of sweat <laughs> um, oh my it, it, it was rough but um, dude I didn't see I, I did not see a single rack deer mm-hmm. until the very last day of the hunt wow I mean it was extremely rough like we had other guys in camp that had success Anthony killed one um, Buddy Stewart killed one um, Jacob killed one uh, and Taylor killed one, but, uh, I did not see a single rack buck for the whole hunt, uh, until the very last day and then bounce around. And like, there was, there was a decent amount of pressure this year. Um, have you hunted the Tennessee velvet hunt every year, except mm-hmm. like one or two years? Uh, I mean, yeah, I didn't, I didn't do it last year, but from, uh, 2018 through 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, didn't go 2022, 2023 this year. Okay. So yeah, gone quite a few times. And, uh, and how, have you seen it change a lot over the years? Like from the deer perspective, like, do you think the deer are like wising up to it big time? That, but also with talking to, talking to different game wards in different counties, they've killed a lot more deer now. Not, uh, not on, not on that hunt, but it's in general because the, the restrictions, the, the, the drop of the restrictions. Yeah. Where like some of these properties, they weren't killing very many bucks a year and now they're killing like over a hundred something bucks a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Holy like crap. that, I think that's made a, a huge difference because it, it is very, 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 very different from how it was the, the, the first real good year we had back in 2020 when I killed my buck. Very different. Very, very different. Yeah. Um, and again, I and it's, I mean, there was multiple guys that did not see a rack buck the whole hunt. Well, so that's what I was going to ask. You had a whole bunch of guys in camp. Yeah. Was everybody struggling to to find deer? Yes. Yes. Everybody. Everybody. Wow. Like a few guys would see a few deer, maybe a couple buck. Like I know one guy. Um, uh, like Jeremy saw a buck right before season opened. Um, and uh, saw saw a pretty good deer in it. Get in a spot that I had been glassing for two days and did not see a buck at first. Um, but I'm trying to think who else might have saw a buck. 
um, before they actually killed one. I don't, I'm trying to, I don't know. My mind's going blank. I don't know if anybody else saw one pre, like before season opened. And was everybody kind of doing the same thing? Like, y'all were hunting around agriculture. Was everyone just kind of glassing, like, beans or something and, and just trying to catch them coming out in, like, a back corner? Yeah, yeah. Everybody was glassing spot and scopes holding on the yards and just nothing. Nothing popped up. And that, that was a crazy thing because it's, like, it, how much it's changed from, like, how many more deer they've killed out there. It's, like, you know, it used to be very, very good. <laughs> and uh and now it's just like okay like you you've got to overturn every leaf to try to find mm-hmm. that buck or find especially if you're trying to kill a, a good deer um and, and there's some places that hold them a little bit better than others but like you know there was one spot jacob went to and scouted that we had a very high hopes for and he found nothing but pigs oh <laughs> and really he, he got, yeah he got he got damn near charged by one and he, <laughs> he had my spot and scope with him he's like dude i was about to he's like i was about to have to go buy a new spot and scope because i was about to defend my life with that thing, <laughs> jumped a bore up from like 10 yards maybe oh uh, yeah no i actually, don't like might, that actually it might have been closer than that uh i might have been like 15 feet it was super close so look i got a dove feather on my hand <laughs> um and uh anyways it was just like he did he did not see a deer out there wow. like it was just pigs it was, it was an area that we were extremely excited about trying to hunt so i'm like well that's that checks off the list we did scout and so me and anthony have scouted a place that reminds me a lot about here at home i, don't, I haven't really told you how much about it i feel very confident going back there during bow season and uh-huh. killing deer on feed trees uh-huh. um and then also like going back during the rut like very confident and really? like the deer it was so crazy like the deer sign difference like going from like where we were at in the state to a different part of the state to go scout and you know we we're like struggling even find like fresh tracks where we we're at like you find some tracks but a lot of them were old and then you go to this other parcel and we did a two mile loop and i'll be honest i have never seen that many tracks and trails in like a more timbered environment mm-hmm. anywhere in alabama compared to like what i found up there really and old rubs Big tracks. I mean, literally from the time we left the truck, made our loop, came back. I'm like, this place is ridiculous. And we just got like, we shot like one area. Like, the thing might yeah. have been, I don't know, maybe 200 acres that we scouted. Um, and it was incredible. Like, incredible. Yep. So, and I almost went over there and went and hunted that, but we just decided against it. Um, but yeah, no, it was just, it was extremely slow for a lot of guys. Uh, and again, it was the temperature. I think the temperature was the big thing. Like, it was so hot the deer weren't doing what they've typically been doing. Like they're trying to, you know, bed down in willow patches and, and the timber and stuff, which typically yep. they haven't done in the past. Cause I mean, it was so hot and there was no airflow, no wind at all. So you were just like, and, and there's so much humidity in the air from like three o'clock in the afternoon till dark. You, there was a haze. Yeah. It wasn't even a fog. There was a haze. Like everywhere you sat, there was a haze and you could just feel all that moisture on you. It's like, felt like you were in a sauna, like for uh, real. And which we've been in a sauna yeah, a lot. Yeah. So it's like, it felt like that, not 190 degrees, but you know, 115 <laughs> degrees, you know, a, a, a nice rare temperature, yeah. uh, get a good rare steak at 115 degrees. Uh, it, it was, it, it was wild, dude. It really was. Uh, Do you think that's what kind of stifled movement a little bit? Cause I mean, 100%. because like yeah. we talked about it, it, it's gone downhill a little bit. But it's still a really good area. I mean, the bucks are there. Uh, so do you think that it, it was just like a weather pattern that had them just screwed up? Like it was like oppressively hot, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And so they're just kind of, I guess, staying in some like heavy shaded cover. Laying on that colder dirt, you yeah. know? Yeah, it was impressively hot. Also, because it's been a, a year since I've been up there. I've been since 2021. And the first afternoon I got there, and uh, I got there, it was like, 45 minutes before dark and i like grab my spot and scope 
grabbed my binos, and I just took off running to this area that I want to get back into, mm-hmm. to, like, glass, right at last light. And I get about 200 yards from the truck. I'm like, dang, I did not grab a bug spray. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, it, it. I'm like, what? It's all good. It's, 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 it's you better get smoked. I'm telling you, I have – this has happened to me before in this hunt. And I just, like, <laughs> just don't – I'm like, oh, it's whatever, dude. These mosquitoes are so bad. Like, uh, some of our listeners from, like, Louisiana, Delta of Mississippi, maybe Southern Arkansas, maybe you could relate. You know, anywhere that, like, anywhere like those areas, like, you've dealt with terrible mosquitoes. This area, this area of the state has some of the worst mosquitoes I've ever experienced in my entire life. And the thing is, it's not just, like, you know, there's, like, multiple different species. There are some mosquitoes out there. I swear to God, they look like little helicopters. Some suckers like that big, dude. I'm serious. <laughs> They, they, got, they got a freaking uh, a damn nose needle on that's about, you know, about a centimeter long. Sucker. When it hits you, dude, you're like, golly, it got me a shot, dude. Um, and I went, I ran out there, dude, and, and, and got set up. And as I'm going out there, I'm like, damn, freaking, you know, there's mosquitoes all over me. But I'm like, whatever, I'm just going to toughen up. And they were biting me. I was just wearing a shirt just like this, like a cotton T-shirt. And they were going right through that cotton T-shirt. And, dude, I had my bino harness on. And uh, I could just feel them, like, wearing out my shoulders. Just, like, oh. wearing out my shoulders and my arms. Stuff. Gosh. It was bad, but it wasn't like terror. I mean, it sucked, but I'm like, I'm still getting out there. I get out there, glass. I see, I'm trying to think, did I see a deer? I don't think I saw a deer. <laughs> and I went back there like far, like a mile and a half back. And then it got like almost dark. I forgot my headlamp because I was in a rush. So I'm like, I don't need a headlamp. I don't know how I'm getting back out of here. And I'm telling you, as that sun set and it gets to that point where like you couldn't see like 100 yards, you just heard like this, like, <laughs> and dude it was like no. you could hear you know, I'm like am I hallucinating like am I like hearing stuff and you could hear like the second that sun got down and it was again getting where like you couldn't see 100 150 yards 200 yards I mean it's right at legal light they swarmed and I'm telling you dude it was like out of like an apocalypse movie I'm running out of there I'm like by this time I dude I am booking it like I'm not full running but I'm walking as fast as you know, as fast as physically possible. Okay. <laughs> tripod over, you know, spot scope tripod over my shoulder, just like booking it. And dude, they are like, it is like the loudest hum, like buzz in your ears. And dude, they are all down. They are like, I remember it gets some flashbacks. It, 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 right it, now? It, it gets, yeah, it gets so dark. It got so dark when I was coming back out. I had my arm, I was holding the tripod on my right shoulder and I had my arm over the top of the tripod. I looked over to my arm because I could feel him bite my arm. And I swear at first, I'm like, it looked like I had a black sleeve in my arm. I'm not even joking. Oh, like, dude, my it, it was just like black of just <laughs> like mosquitoes. And like, I hit them, they all come off, and then they come right back. And I'm like, oh, God. I'm like, I just got to go. And dude, oh, dude. It, it, <laughs> you should have used your saw here, Pekarinen. <laughs> I didn't. I had it in the truck. And I, I, again, I was in such a rush. I should have, like, typically I keep it, I, I got a pouch in my bino heart so I can slide it, the Pekarinen down yep. into. Mm hmm. Yeah, I didn't do that. Shoulda, shoulda, coulda, woulda. And, dude, I got back. Listen, so that night I had to sleep in the truck. So I decided not to get a hotel room. Man, I bet that truck smelled great. I'm going to tell you. That truck's never going to be the same. So I slept in that truck. And I'm like, man, that'll get kind of cool tonight. By the time I didn't go to bed and I didn't go to sleep in the truck until, or I didn't try to go to sleep until like 11 o'clock. It was still 86 degrees outside. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Had the truck turned off, windows cracked, and I have a battery operated like uh, fan, kind of like one of these DeWalt fans. Um, runs off one of those uh, ten volt batteries, and um, anyways, had it going. Try to go sleep, and dude, I woke up. I didn't go to sleep for like an hour. I woke up. I was like just soaking sweat, and I'm like, dude. And I look, and I'm like, look the temperature gauge. Turn my truck over, look at the temperature gauge, and it was like 88 degrees. 
And I'm like, I'm like, how did it get warmer? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god! So like, dude, I literally turned, oh. the, I locked the truck door, turned the truck on, left the AC on, is freaking slept like that. And I've I've had to do that a couple times on some of these trips. That was like the hottest week of the year or something. Yeah, at least it was in Birmingham. It was record book. Where we were at, dude, we went down to the coast in Florida. It was yeah. like 84 degrees all week. It was so nice. It was breezy. So I, it I, was so nice. So I'd called Jonathan Morley on this trip. Uh, or he called me. He had some questions on some camera equipment. And we were talking. And um, the day when it was 115 where we were at, he didn't index that me and Anthony were going to do scouting. And I'll tell you what, do not drink one of these energy drinks before you go out there and do that stuff. Mm. I about threw up, dude, in a heartbeat. Where are they? I told Anthony we did we got it was about a mile and a half on this or maybe just over a mile on this on this walk and I'm like I start getting real nauseous, dude. Oh. And I, like and we packed some water with us, but we're just going through water and it's just stagnant air, 150 like you're just baking, dude. Like you're just like you're sizzling. Mm. And uh, I told him I'm like, dude, we got to stop. I had to sit down because I'm like getting lightheaded and dizzy and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, sit down. I'm like, man. I'm like, dude, I, I, I dude, I, I got some, I am soft, dude. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, this is, this is terrible. And Anthony's like, he's like, oh yeah, man, it's a little rough. And he, dude, he's way tougher, way tougher. And, um, anyway, but it, it was rough. But when I talked to Jonathan the same day, he's like, oh yeah, dude, he's supposed to get 120 heat index where we're at in Arkansas. And I'm like, he's like, good luck with you guys out there. And I'm like, Ugh. God, dude, like, I can't imagine. But yeah, it was, uh, brutal. It, it was brutal. But the mosquitoes, I'm telling you, dude. Like I'm not. There was like no ticks. I wasn't worried about ticks, which I was sprayed down with uh, keratin or uh, permethrin anyway, so I was fine. But really, no ticks. But the mosquitoes will change your life. Yeah. Not in a great way. Like I was talking to some guys. Like, man, you can get malaria out there yeah, for real. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. When you get a couple, and but that's where I was gonna get at. So the next night, and that's when Anthony showed up. We went to a hotel room, split a hotel room. I finally took my shirt off and I was gonna shower. I looked at myself. I'm like, dude, I look bad. <laughs> I looked real bad. Like, you know, like I'm not one of those guys. Like some people get like bit by mosquitoes and they get like they're real allergic to them and they get like huge whelps. I'm not like that. So like the whelps aren't that big. But it was like hundreds, like hundreds upon hundreds of whelps, especially on my shoulders and going down my arms, mm. dude. Yeah, that sounds fun. They, they didn't care. They didn't care one bit. But that uh, sounds like a blast. So so everyone kind of struggled, but y'all y'all had some bucks taken down in camp. Uh, like looking ahead. If you could redo it or maybe looking ahead to next year, like, are you going to change anything? Because we had talked a little bit about um, adjusting to the bucks, like not coming to the beans as much. And potentially, you know, they're out in the woods. It's something that uh, we talked with PK about. I think we maybe talked like in a similar subject with Greg, uh, Greg Staggs and some other people about it. Uh, these bucks are not necessarily like staying in the beans you know like the one you killed he was staying in the beans and that's how you ended up killing him mm -hmm. but a lot of them are coming from somewhere else going to the beans and so we talked about maybe trying to go further back in the woods y'all ended up not doing that just because of the thickness of the woods like didn't really allow it so is there anything that you would do different you know looking back i'm not talking about but absolutely and it uh, there's something there's, there's a something very specific that i'm going to do next year that i think will help tremendously Tremendously, and it has to do with scouting and everything, and like finding, find the sign, find the browse pressure, and all that kind of stuff. Because uh, typically, when I've gone out there, I mostly just glass. Like I'd walk some spots, but like really just try glass a whole bunch of layouts and stuff. And all the guys that were successful did not do that. They all covered a lot more ground and found like the really heavy browse uh, pressure um, and the tracks that were coming out, like in spots that you could not glass into. Uh, um, getting those low corners, like low just, back corners. Yeah, just I mean spots that you just you can't see, and you got to walk super far in there. You got to check stuff out, and like that's how nearly everybody killed their deer. 
So essentially running the edge of the bean field, finding a congregation of tracks and heavy browse pressure on the beans, like in those lower spots. Yeah, it's just like Kentucky. Like if I was like if I was gonna go to Kentucky, I'd do the exact same thing. Like Kentucky early season, covering ground, trying to find big tracks and heavy browse mm-hmm. coming in and out of the beans, finding those trails going from the beans back into like that thicker stuff and kind of keying in all that specifically. Um, yeah. and I think it, it would work a lot better, a lot better. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, let's see what else we got. Uh, we got, we got some stuff to talk about from scouting here recently. And then we got this Georgia hunt coming up, but I think we're going to hit that on next week's outro. Uh, you ready to get some Q and A's? Yeah, going? absolutely. Q and A's going. All right. Uh, we, had, we had some really good ones. Oh, we've got a bunch of them coming in. Man. So, the, so the Q and A's guys, this is something we've been doing now for a couple months and really have enjoyed it. So, what y'all can do, whether you're watching the podcast or you're listening, you go down to the show notes down below, and uh, you can click the link, and it'll take us take you to the website, our website, and you can leave us a, a Q&A, or a, a fill out a Q&A form, and we try to answer those on these outro breakdown episodes, uh, and kind of answer direct questions that you guys may have. And also, you know, if we have very specific questions that maybe something that me and Andrew can't answer, we're going to try to reach out to the uh, podcast guests that would most... Uh, be qualified to answer those questions and try to get them to kind of talk about or, or give us a, a idea of uh, you know how to handle different situations. So we've had some really good ones come in, but uh, we'll kind of start with our first one. All right, first up, Rudy. Uh, do you know how to say Rudy's last? Rudy, I'm sorry, man. I'm gonna butcher your last name. I don't know how to say it. Uh, Perels. Perels, maybe. Yeah, uh, uh, pretty good. I think that might be it. Um, been listening to the podcast for almost two years, and I'm addicted. Thanks for all the great content. I've related uh, to so many hunters through most of you are, though most of you are further north from where I'm from, and I can relate to many situations and terrain to where I'm at in East Texas. My question is, when will you get someone from East Texas on here? I know some giant buck killers who are specifically East Texas public land, as there aren't many options to hunt public without submitting for draw hunts, and I'm curious why you haven't had a true deep south Texas hunter on here. I'm finding the episode right now, because we have. (laughs) (laughs) I've been hunting public land for 18 years and working the last seven. I really honed in on my skills and my biggest public land buck and chasing now my biggest public land buck down here my second year in a row. Uh, I'm tagging out. I'm over-tagging out. I'm focused on big mature bucks, and I'd like to see or hear from hunters like me and Seth Johnson, who we're going to be with here pretty soon, uh, who are 100% dedicated to this East Texas Piney Woods hunting. Keep up the good work, my daily podcast to work. Appreciate the question, Rudy. Um, What you got? So we've got a couple of them. So there's a couple listener success story episodes we've done from guys from East Texas that kind of talk about things they've taken away from the podcast and actually applied and had success. One is episode 323. Uh, the title is uh, Big East Texas 8-Point Listener Success, and that was with uh, our buddy Mark Smith uh, from East Texas talking about the success he had killing his buck named Ocho uh, after using some stuff in the podcast. Another one that's a really good one, uh, uh, the listener is Randy Madden from East Texas, who actually makes his own uh, longbow and recurs. I can't remember the name of his company. Uh, and it's two East Texas public land bucks down listener success story. That's episode 311. So episode 311. Also, we've had a gentleman named Ben Allen on the podcast, which I'm going to find his episode. Um, he's uh, He just retired from the military, but when he was in the military, he lived in a bunch of different places. And because of that, he got to hunt a bunch of different states. And one of the states that he hunted a ton was Texas, East Texas, on some of that National Forest property. And had a lot of success killing some really big deer out there uh, during bow season and during the rifle season. Yep. So if I can find it, let's see. Also, uh, Rudy, I will say, 
if you if you know some big buck killers, like uh, you said, I know some giant buck killers who hunt specifically East Texas public land. But send them to us. Right send us them up. our way, yeah, my man. Yeah, hit, hit us up on the contact form page like, on the website and give us some details. So, hey, the, uh, Rudy, the episode that would be uh, very applicable for you, and I've got I've got another one after this one. Uh, talking about East Texas, this is uh, episode 180. So this is a throwback to uh, 2020. Episode 180, hunting low-pressure bucks on public land and hunting weather fronts with Ben Allen. It's a really good episode. Talks a little bit about when he hunted in Louisiana, Texas, and Missouri when he was in the military. And he really talks a decent amount about Texas because that's where he's originally from. Um, and then also we've got uh, let's see, let me think. Uh, da- David Toms, who's been on the podcast, who hunts a lot of East uh, Texas public land along with Oklahoma, and uh, kills some really, really good deer out there as well. So mm-hmm. here we go. So um, this is episode 280. Again, this is with David Toms. Uh, why your deer hunting tactics haven't been working with David Toms. So he talks a little bit about his success he's had in East Texas. Uh, it's another really good episode. Again, episode 280, uh, and that's uh, back in 2021. If you want to go look at that episode, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, we get we get a lot of great guest recommendations from listeners, so for sure, like if you know people, definitely send them our way. Like at least tell us their their name, how to contact them, and we'll. Get, I mean, Rick Cope was like that. You yeah. mentioned it earlier in this episode. Uh, all right, next up uh, is a uh, Zach. Uh, I'm I'm thinking uh, Gazowski. Yeah, that's probably right. Um, Sorry, man. I'm just these last names today. They're getting the better of me. Uh, how does one find hub scrapes, e-scouting, as well as boots on the ground? This is one of my favorite subjects because I love hubs and I love I love mapping and stuff. Uh, hub scrapes are typically going to be in an area. We actually have a good video on our, our YouTube uh, channel about this. Uh, it's I think it. I find it. We find the name of that. Uh, it's recent. It's from last year where I I shot a buck over a scrape, and um, Essentially, what the scrape is, like what a hub scrape is to me, like some people might have a different opinion, but to me, a hub scrape is nothing more than a focal point in a, a really good travel corridor. So in the instance of where I shot the buck in the video we're about to mention, the deer are like already coming through this area because of how it sets up from a terrain standpoint. So it gets deer traffic, and that's why the scrape is there. The scrape, you know, the deer aren't there because of the scrape, the scrape is there because of the deer. So you can't put like the chicken before the egg or, or whatever in these situations. So essentially what it's going to boil down to is you're going to want to look at the landscape as a whole and think about where deer are bedding and where are they feeding or just what are some general places they might be traveling back and forth to. It could be between two different bedding areas. It could be between bedding and food. It could be between food and food. I mean, it just depends uh, and you're looking for something that is going to funnel deer from multiple different directions into one spot. So what's the name of this video? Yeah. So the first one, which is actually a hunt film, uh, where Andrew killed a buck on one of these, uh, hub community scrapes, which I need you to talk about what is a actual yep. hub scrape and community scrape. Um, it, the title is from about three months ago. It's uh, Hunting Community Scrapes for Trophy Bucks in Big Woods, Alabama, Public Land. And the thumbnail on YouTube, it just says Scrape Hunt Success, and it's got me hanging in the tree. Yep. And then the other one, uh, is it this one, the top three most known deer funnels? I think we talked I, about it. I think so. I think we talked about it in there. Yeah. So the other one is from about six months ago. Uh, it's the top three must know deer funnels you need to scout and hunt. Uh, it's got a buck, 
uh, with a uh, kind of like a, a topo map on there. Um, that's another really good one as well. Kind of gets into some of that topic, and uh, we'll probably knock out some more. But what is a hub scrape? A hub scrape would just be again, it's in a spot that gets a lot of deer traffic, so it's going to typically have a lot of looking branches, and it's going to be large. Like the scrape on the ground should be large, and it might, it could also be like five scrapes that are all right there next to each other in one spot, like especially here in Alabama and across much of the southeast, you'll see them on beech trees. Mm-hmm. Beech tree comes out, it's got just perfect, they're made for scrapes. Perfect looking branches coming out. And I found one in Georgia last year on an early season hunt where it was a it was a beech tree um, about as big around, as, a little bit bigger around than like a like a big fat, um, like like a bugle tube for elk, what are they, like a wiffle ball bat. Um, you know, they used That's to use, a weird example, but okay. But like not... It, bigger than a baseball bat, but yeah. like those wiffle ball like that you have when you're a kid, they're like you know a lot bigger than a baseball bat, more than twice the size. But it was about that size, and every single branch all the way around in a circle had a scrape underneath it. So I mean, it's like a ring of scrapes around the entire tree. Uh, so they'll look like that from time to time. But the for me, the main giveaway is multiple licking branches. So you got to have like a bunch of licking branches. But again. It's to me nowadays. It's less of what the scrape looks like and more of where the scrape is. And again, it's in a area that is funneling deer back and forth, and it gets a lot of deer traffic. So in those videos, specifically the the hunt film, that that one showcases exactly what we're talking about because it's it's basically showing a spot where deer are traveling through this one area in like three different directions. So you got deer. It was on the side of a mountain, and there's kind of a bench that comes out. And what's happening is the deer are coming up onto the bench from the bottom, coming off from feeding on private land, going back up on the mountain. You got bucks that are running around the side of the mountain, and then also you got bucks that are coming down from the bed and going to the food. So you got, them, up top. you got them going up and down and side to side, and they cross right there. Like it, it, they tee off in that one spot. And the terrain funnels them through this one specific area. So uh, – that's why the scrape is there, and that's why I say it's more of just a focal point in a larger terrain funnel. So the the scrape is there because of the deer. The deer aren't there because of the scrape. And also because of that, you know, you might not necessarily uh, hunt over the scrape. You might be hunting close to the scrape, which is what I did, and I killed that buck like 50 yards from that scrape or something. And that's why you'll find some of the scrapes also down in like a thermal hub, which a lot of people were talking about, where you have three or four different drainages dropping down to a very specific spot. Um, and you have a bunch of ridge points dropping down to a very specific kind of like bowl down below. You'll find them there. Then also sometimes at the top of uh, a ridge where you have, it's almost, uh, they call it like a ridge a ridge top hub, which is the opposite of a thermal hub where you have, you know, a high point on a ridge. And then from that high point, you have say three or four secondary ridge points drop off in different directions, almost like a spoke of a wheel. And that high spot is a congregation's point as well that bucks will come up to. And, and put down one of those hub scrapes or community scrape or primary scrape, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's kind of funny because Andrew is pretty good about just looking at a map like, oh, man, there ought to be one right here. And we go in there, we find it. Because uh, Andrew's – see, again, we've talked about this on the podcast all the time. I'm typically – when I'm walking through the woods, I, we hunt in places with a lot of timber rattlesnakes. So I like to – I find a lot more tracks probably than Andrew does because I'm, <laughs> I'm always looking down. I'm like looking up, but I'm looking down as well, kind of watching my surroundings and looking for that sign on the ground. And Andrew's a lot more uh, – aware of like stuff higher up so Andrew sees a lot more licking branches than I do typically yeah dude I'm scanning dude I'm wired for licking branches so you know that it's just a little bit different but like you have to be able to do that because a lot of times like right now you're not going to find 
necessarily like a big pawed out area. Like you may right at this time of the year, but probably not. More than likely, you're not going to find a big pawed out area, but you can still find those looking branches that they were using last year. And again, the bigger the looking branch, the probably the older that scrapes, the longer that scrapes been there. I mean, there's there's looking branches we found in the past that are bigger around than your thumb, all twisted up, and that's something that's been hit for years. Yeah, like it's not like a little dinky little looking branch the size of like a, a pencil or, or smaller that's yep. kind of all twisted up um you know you try to find like those bigger looking branches that shows that there's been years if not potentially even a decade or more of, of uh deer activity uh on that specific looking branch so yeah and you'll find scrapes a lot of times we found a lot of scrapes on my hunting club in turkey season mm-hmm. that are big impressive scrapes and they're going down maybe these logging roads going down these long finger ridges and you'll run across like a, a very nice scrape that's impressive and it'd probably do good with a camera on it, but it's not really like that hub scrape that you're looking for. Um, it's getting enough traffic that I guess they're using that scrape, but it's not really like if you look at it on the map and you kind of zoom out, you realize that you're not in a spot where like a deer coming from, you know, way over there can get to way over there. Like it's it's not connecting two masses of land basically. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I look at it now is like it's connecting two masses of land it could be connecting like a big valley to a specific ridge side it could be connecting two different ridge systems it could be connecting two creek drainages across the top of a ridge system so like what i call like a big landscape saddle so um it's just something that you know you need to look at the map and and guess where you think they are and then just start going in there and basically not finding them and and you're going to start crossing stuff off and then you're going to start hitting a couple and you're going to start finding them and i can't stress this enough put a camera on it like now like if you go out next week and and find one just go ahead and get a camera that you don't like care about moving around a whole bunch that's got good battery life and throw it out within the next month or so and leave it just all year like go get it in january um because the information you're going to get from that is going to be so valuable in the coming years and also it's going to help you confirm whether or not that is a scrape or if you have a cell camera throw a cell camera on it and that's also a great monitoring tool to see when the rut is like really about to pop off in that specific area because you're going to have bucks just hammering that scrape yep. leading up. And then one day, it's just going to stop. And when it stops, they're doing something else. They're chasing. So you need to get in there. Yep, absolutely. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, uh, yep. appreciate everybody leaving us um, those listener uh, Q&As. Again, feel free. You know, this is something that we absolutely love doing. We've got a bunch more we got to go through. But if you have any questions like that from either past guests or topics discussed on the podcast or even just random stuff, um, you can leave that, again, link down below on in the show notes or via the podcast you're listening uh, on, the, the listening platform you're on, or on YouTube. You'll find that link there. Or you can go to our website. It's thesouthernoutdoorsmen.com uh, and fill out that uh, listener uh uh, Q&A form. Also, remember the guys, now it's a little late in the podcast to bring this up, as season is now approaching for a lot of us, you know, a lot of our guys in Georgia, which we've got a lot of listeners in Georgia about to start hunting here, uh, you know, coming up this weekend, and then other states are already open, uh, Kentucky's open, uh, some guys are going all the way up to like North Dakota, South Dakota, stuff like that, going out west. Uh, remember, if you use anything you've learned on the podcast and you have success killing a deer this fall, let us know. Send us a listener success form on our website. Go over to the, our website, southernoutdoorsmen.com. There is a tab on there that's titled Listener Success. You actually go and you can fill it out, send some photos, tell us the story of it, and again, we'll go about posting some of those this fall. And I think we're going to implement, i, I got to confirm, but I think we're going to implement a giveaway each month starting in October for any new listener success uh, stories that come in. 
uh, put you in a drawing for some different things. And we got a couple companies that are on board about giving away some product um, along with uh, some other stuff we're going to work on. So yep. really, really exciting. So make sure you guys ride in your listening to success stories this fall because uh, it could actually pay for you. Yeah. You're not, you're not going to get money from it, but you're going to get a lot of cool gear. So um, anyways, but yeah, other than that, guys, uh, Andrew, do you want to read off any uh, new reviews? Well, we'll get we'll hit the reviews on the next one. Okay, that's fine. Uh, awesome. Well, we appreciate everybody watching the podcast on YouTube. Appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. One of the biggest things you can do, guys, to help us with the show is just share the show, okay? Share the show. Friends, family, doesn't matter. Your hunting buddies. Uh, share the podcast with some friends. If you really enjoyed an episode, share it. And, uh, again, that's one of the biggest ways you can help support the podcast. So appreciate y'all's support. Appreciate y'all listening. Appreciate y'all watching. We'll catch y'all back here on next Monday's episode from the Southern Outdoors and the Podcast. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it, you're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.